for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Engley, joined as always by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Ryan. Good to talk to you today. Good to talk to you. Uh, and today is an um, exciting uh, start of a, of a new series that will continue until we die. Um, because we are, um, well, probably, right? Well, till I we, die, let's be till, clear about who's, right. who's dying first. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay, all right, fair enough. Um, yeah, Could so be continued we, even after my death when my <laughs> replacement comes on the show. That's really funny. I should start, I'll, I'll start scouting now, Todd, because, okay. okay. you know, you gotta, you gotta, podcasts are like sports teams and you really gotta be like scouting, like, right. well, how, do, right. how do you retool, you know, years down the line? That's right. the, that's the important thing. Um, so we are going to be uh, talking about each seminar individually. Now, uh, it is, there's just so much in these, um, as anyone knows who has uh, read them. Um, we have done basically two, like we're going to do one on seminar seven. We've basically already done two podcasts on seminar seven and I don't even think it's nearly comprehensive. So, um, I think I say this as a, like a, um, we're, we're, we're going to pick our spots in these seminars and the way we're going to start, um, because I think this is very important and often gets lost is we're going to start with what is the problem that Lacan is trying to solve or what's the question that he's taking up? And it seems a very basic way uh, to, 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 to look at things, but it, it's, it sometimes, it, it just sometimes gets lost, I think, in, in, in uh, the discussion of these is that, like, you, you try to understand, like, you read these things and you're trying to understand uh, what Lacan is, it, what he means like per, like at the at the granular like sentence level or what like concept is he, is he getting into. And what often gets lost is, like, why is he even saying these things at all? Um, and I think that's what we're going to try to, uh, take on, uh, here with, uh, with seminar one and right, uh, with like right. the first, pr- first problem. Right. Right. I like that idea that the, that it's, we're going to get the overarching problem because you're right. Like reading Lacan, you get, you get bogged down at the sentence level and you lose the sense of the larger argument. And so mm-hmm. I think that's what we want to get to. Like what's the larger, what's driving the larger argument and what is the larger argument at stake mm-hmm. in this first seminar on essays on te- on Freud's essays on technique. I think that's an important thing, right? That it's on yeah. Freud's essays. It, this is the, I would say the sem- this is the seminar most devoted to a reading of Freud. Not, yes. not, and you said to me, this to me before, you said Lacan isn't yet Lacan, right? Like he's yeah. not, it's almost like he doesn't have confidence. This is what you kind of said, that he doesn't have <laughs> yeah. confidence to assert this thing on my own against not against Freud so much, but just apart from Freud. And I, I think that's, I think it's right. Whether it's a lack of confidence or a lack of, like, this is what I'm going to try to do even. Like, he doesn't have a sense of that. And I think that's, that really stands out when you're reading the seminar, that he's, and, and part of it, the way you see it is in certain terminology, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's using terms that later I think he would disdain. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting, like, on that level, um, and, and this is part of our, like, our pre-show uh, ch- uh, chatter is that, like, he's, what he's trying to do, like, one of the first things that he, uh, well, th- this is just, like, a uh, single sentence, what's the the problem that he's trying to solve or the question that he takes up, is he is um, trying to take back the uh, ego back to the terrain of, of psychoanalysis and taking it away from developments in ego psychology. So that's the, that's what he is trying to, uh, to argue for and solve in this, uh, in the seminar. And 
part of what ends up happening with this, like as a consequence is that like, he doesn't develop his own, uh, terminology. Like in, in this specific, uh, seminar, he, uh, you know, he uses words that he will later reject. Like you, know, you were just saying like intersubjective. Intersubjective like will, is a big is, one, is, right? Is a very big one. Uh, he even talks about gaze in this one and it is like pretty strictly through how, uh, Sartre uh, formulates it right. and being in nothingness. Yeah. And he also, the way that, um, because, but it's all, and it's like, it's really, really important. Even if he does like maybe, maybe there, there's something I'm missing where, you know, he's, I mean, he does talk about his own ideas of like the, the imaginary symbolic and real. And we'll, we'll get into like where these ideas are at this time uh, a little bit later in the podcast, but he's wants to stick with, showing that this is the proper reading of Freud and not him imposing something on Freud. Like, I think that's, and that's kind of, that's, I don't know. I think we would say like, that's, that's kind of a Hegelian task, which is that like, this is what is suggested. This, this is not my position amongst other positions. This is like, uh, demonstrably the, the, the correct thing. And it's for these reasons. Like, I right. think that's, that's his task, uh, in, in this seminar. Right, and it's a corrective of what he sees as other misreadings of Freud, right? Like, I think that's basically what this seminar is trying to do, a corrective on the level, on the question of technique, Mm -hmm. a corrective of how Freud's been read. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's really the basic project. And so... The, the so he real, can't make up his own stuff. If he's just making up his own stuff, then he's participating in the problem that he's trying to solve. Right, right. Yeah, yeah right. That's really good. And so so his the, the, the opponent here is something, what he calls two-body psychology. It's, mm-hmm. it's, all, it's, it's like a variety of people. You're right to say it's, there are some ego psychologists that he's attacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also Melanie Klein and, and, and mm-hmm. people in the object relations line of thinking. I think that's... And, and, and all of these lines of thought, which are very disparate, right? Like he, he, mm-hmm. he doesn't group them together. He sees them as, as distinct, but he thinks they, they share a certain error, and that's what this seminar is trying to correct. And I think the error is the duality, right? Like the, yes. the two-body psychology, the, the, the thinking of anything in terms of two. And, and in fact, this is his critique. Even though he gets gazed from Sartre here, he, mm-hmm. this is a critique he levels against Sartre that he fails to think of the third party. And yeah. you could just say that this whole seminar is about, I'm going to insist again and again and again on the importance of the third. Whenever you think of a two, I'm yeah. going to bring this third party along, which is the symbolic, right? So it's a, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. about how there's this seeming imaginary relationship between two, and he's mm-hmm. going to say, no, every imaginary relation is always framed by a third party third party is symbolic third party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like he, uh, if we want to do some, how much, how much do we want to go like direct to the text? Cause no, that's um, fine. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. There. Yeah. So, um, on, uh, if you have the, uh, the Norton, Oh, by the way, I'm going to lose my mind when we do seminar two, because it's the only one of the Norton seminars that hasn't changed the cover to the new one, the, the, the later ones that Norton would do. And I just like, as a, as an aesthete, right? Right. As, as engaging a, my Benjaminian uh, you're a sensibilities. You're a yes. completist. Yes, that's good. Oh, yeah. it, and then you, Polity is doing the other ones, and like half of them I have in hardcover and half are in paperback, and that also that's rankles me. It's yeah, terrible. it's just yeah. like, yeah. What, yeah. What, what life is this, Todd? It's just well, in a hundred years, they'll have the collected Lacan, and they'll all be, and then you could just get them, you know, you won't be alive, but you can imagine no. what it'll be like. Right? I can. Well, at least I, that's nice. That's some, 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 some of the coldest comfort I can imagine. All right, yeah, so, 
<laughs> so um, this is a pretty good, uh, it's a pretty good line uh, summation of what you were just talking about. Um, and this occurs on uh, page 218. He's talking specifically, this is another figure he brings up, is uh, Michael Ballant. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name properly or Balint or, uh, but he says, um, there is never a simple duplicity of terms. And this is against the two-body psychology. It is not only that I see the other, I see him seeing me, which implicates the third term, namely that he knows that I see him. The circle is closed. There are always three terms in the structure, even if these three terms are not explicitly pre- uh, present. And th- this is, you know, there's a great uh, there's a great essay on uh, Hitchcock and Lacan by Maladin Delar, who uh, it's called it's called Hitchcock's Objects. It's in yeah. the you know everything you always wanted to know about uh, Lacan, but was afraid to ask Hitchcock. Right? Did I have it the right way? Yeah, right? that's or right. Was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the and he just says like. It, it's a great formula on this, you know, what I think um, uh, Lorenzo Chiesa would, would start to talk about as the not two that's at the center of psychoanalysis. Delar's great formulation is every duality depends on a third. And, right. uh, and that's in Hitchcock's objects. And that's that idea, which um, Lacan will develop later uh, in, in maybe more sophisticated ways. Like it's implicit all the way, all the way here. Um, uh, as well, like back in one, which I, we should probably note that like, this is just the first seminar that we have because even in this, he's referencing other seminars. Right. So like other, it's kind of an arbitrary yeah. beginning point, isn't it? That's the interesting yeah. thing. Yeah. Just all of yeah. a sudden, this is when the seminars were, 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 there's a record of them, right? Like before yeah. that, that he gave them and, and no one cared enough to make a record <laughs> of them, uh, which That's is again about this like emergence of Lacan, right? Like he, mm-hmm. he yeah. comes out of, he's just an ordinary analyst and he becomes Jacques Lacan. I mean, and, and I think it's the, it's these seminars that really gave him that status. And then, and, mm-hmm. the, and the, the writing down of them, I think is important and, and it suggests that he has something to say that's that's different than other people. And I think I think you're exactly right to say what's different and like Delar's essay shows this is this third party mm-hmm. that he's mm-hmm. insisting on. And you know for him I think this is I to me this is the clearest seminar about the way in which the imaginary is the site of aggression mm-hmm. and the symbolic pact is about an agreement that keeps that aggression at bay. And it's yeah. interesting that, you know, I think now we don't necessarily think that. I think Lacan later wouldn't think that about the symbolic pact. In fact, I'm not even sure if he, at the end of his life, even uh, believes in a symbolic pact anymore. You know, like mm, once the idea of once the idea of Santome comes about, it's like mm-hmm. we're on these little islands and yeah. the Santome holds our island together, but how do we relate to other people? It's not so clear. So I think which I think is a kind of a problem, but, uh, but I do think, but that's for, he, that's for either your replacement or that's for my for replacement now. to sort out. Right. <laughs> yeah. right? In, in 50 years. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Cause that's seminar 23. So right. I, mm-hmm. I think that, um, I think it's, it's interesting that here the symbolic pact is really a kind of thing that allows us to get along Right. Like yeah. if if we just had this dual imaginary relation, we we and Lacan says this, I think it's in seminar two. He says you'll either eat the other or you'll fuck the other. Right. Like there's <laughs> there's if yeah. you, there's an imaginary relation. There's no possibility for this agreement to not not mm-hmm. kill the other, not destroy the other. So I think that's it, here. There's this real emphasis on symbolic. I don't know, like symbolic. Not he doesn't think it's peace, but some kind of 
agreement, ability to get along, coexistence, mm-hmm. that on the imaginary level just doesn't exist at all. And I love the way that he ties this into this critique of Darwinism, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which he, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was just going to say, like, uh, that's, uh, yeah, let's, whatever, get into it now. The, yeah, the, I was just going to say the, that, so, so <laughs> because I think it's tied to this imaginary, right? Like, it's, mm-hmm. like, that... And the line, here's the line he says. He says, Darwin came from a nation of privateers. It's not clear to me what that word means. Um, <laughs> for whom racism was the basic industry. And he thinks that Darwin is stuck in this imaginary relationship and doesn't see the symbolic bond. And that's how he comes up with survival of the fittest, right? Like mm-hmm, natural mm-hmm. selection, he thinks, has its basis in an imaginary misrecognition of a symbolic pact, right? So that's a... I, so, so I guess at least he's saying you can't apply Darwin to human relations. But I'm not sure is the That's implication that because obviously in the in the non-human world there aren't symbolic packs, right? So, right. so there are just imaginary relations. So maybe he's saying Darwin is possibly right about the natural world, but not can't be right about the human world. I mean, it's definitely something that he, so it's, it, there's kind of a double move there that I think is, uh, like sophisticated and, and subtle, which is that, uh, Darwin misses the, the symbolic dimension in what he's talking about. And ego psychology also misses right. the symbolic dimension of the analytic session. And that's, uh, a, a pretty fascinating and, and like, and, and bold claim. And it's definitely, at the at the time that he's um, giving these lectures and talking about this, um, or at least the way that he has it set up is that like this is very much like heterodox for where like therapy is going, which is that well, I like, think it's ther- true today, isn't it? Like, yeah. like don't you think that psychology is basically Darwinist in its interpretation of human relations? Absolutely, yeah, what one one hundred percent, and it's. Yeah, and this is I just want to like give a shout out to a listener who who said the line um this is the Ashley Darcy uh who said that the uh, every, like all like all psychology today is ego psychology right. and 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 so it's not it doesn't go by that name but the point of ego psychology and and these different people like you know uh Lacan also calls out Anna Freud um and uh you know and, and Melanie Klein and Michael Ballant and and the two body psychology and his whole his whole point is just you cannot you cannot do this. You cannot do analysis if you are, if your point is to enlarge the ego of the person that you're talking to like that, like to like to like to reclaim this this I. And what he says is that it's not just I. Right. Like it's it's not a not a straight that even might be the title of one like a subsection of one of these uh, these, these lectures. And I'm not sure if it's in this one or in two, that, but it's like, Malaire's title, right? It, that's a good point. Like why yeah. the ego is not I like that's right. a, so that's right. so fair. Point. Well, that's what's interesting is that in French, we don't have this in English, but in French, the word for ego is moi, which is me. So mm. there's this interesting opposition oh, interesting. between, between mm. je, the subject mm-hmm. and moi, the ego, which is an actually the objective pronoun of, of, I, right? So, so it's a kind of, it's a nice, you know, the French, this is a nice peculiarity of the language that really captures, you can make this opposition even in the two pronouns that refer to I. That's really, really nice. And I mean, yeah. And translation is a part of this, but, but uh, anyway, but back to, to the, to the, um, to the Darwin point and to the, like the, I don't know, the, the, the Darwinization of, uh, of psychology is it like, like the, like where those two things uh, come into contact is that like um, uh, 
again, the, if you think you cannot think, I, I, I think this is maybe one of, maybe one way of, um, of simplifying, uh, like a little bit about what Lacan is, is into is that like the, um, the ego is not a problem to be solved. It, it, and, and maybe that he is, has like Hegel in his mind because what he wants is that like the ego has to be reconciled and reckoned with. Right. And I, and I think that mo- many psychology, like popular. Okay. So I'm going to talk about a friend of mine cause I told you about this before. So a friend of mine is going to see a therapist who uh, does this thing with um, rapid eye movement and, yeah. and to inch. <laughs> To it's an REM fan, huh? I, yeah, exactly, big time. Yeah, and to induce you into a, uh, um, a, a more of like a, a, a trance or hypnosis kind of state, so you can, okay. you know, so you can uh, uh, you can approach your trauma. Okay. And this person uh, has a big claim that they can eliminate your PTSD in eighteen sessions. Wow! And yes, right. I mean, uh, so. I, I don't know why 18, it's, but whatever. So the, um, and they're just in this bare setup. I'm not going to say anything else about the, like this person. I don't want to identify them or, or whatever. Cause this is really just about the therapeutic method that's being practiced here is that or not practiced or not practiced would be right. the Lacanian like, yeah. Retort is that you, it's not a, it's not a pro again, it's not a problem to be solved and it is not a thing that can be wrapped up in like the length of a television season basically like you're 18 episodes and you're done and you get the season finale and you're done with your, your trauma. And I did like, that's like a, for one, I think that's like a really damaging thing to promise someone because Plus it's too long. Like a good season is 12 episodes. Right? That's like, well, you've been watching the wire. So that's why I you have. That. Been, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and there's also the, like the idea that um, again, like we, like you just need to get over this stuff. Right. In like a, in, in kind of a finite amount of time. And all of these ideas, which are rampant and very, very popular in, you know, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which like something like I, like I went through for a little bit, uh, some years ago, it is very much like you have homework, you have work to do there, there, there's all this like action and activity and right. all of it is it to me is actually a way of not confronting yourself. That's right. what all of it is. It is all, it is all veils to not actually confront the ego. And it is, well, you wouldn't know, you again, say, yeah. Ryan, would you say, I just want to pick up on this idea that you just said, that, wouldn't you say that the point of actually the only way to confront your trauma is passively, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah because exactly. isn't that the whole idea of free association? You're not actively, yeah. You're not saying like, okay, what's the proper association I want to get to? <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. That would defeat yes. the whole point. And, and exactly. the same thing with dreams, right? Like the whole point mm-hmm. of a dream is that you're just, and I think cinema too, right? You're just sitting in the chair. You don't direct any what's going on. Right. And that's why you can encounter this trauma because if you're active, you're guarding yourself against it. I think that's a yes. humongously important point. That that, And I think that's why the encounter with the gaze is so traumatizing and it brings you back to that original trauma because you encounter the gaze when you're not being active when you're in a dream or when you're at the movies or when you're watching something mm-hmm. and you're you're kind of you're like one of you know you're in Plato's cave and you're chained in yeah. and, and it allows you to have this encounter that you otherwise wouldn't have and I think that's really that's the radicality of it now so it's exactly the opposite of how they're conceiving like to be active 
I, I went to cognitive behavioral therapy too, and and yeah. it's like all these things to do in order yeah. not to <laughs> to confront yourself. To confront yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's just and, way too many things you're doing. And I think that just I, I want to tie the bring the dart the Darwin thread to it is it's like if you can't do that, you cannot survive. That's what, and I think that that's a, a um a message that especially comes through like in America because we have like because we allow advertisements for like depression medication with the end with tell your doctor to give you this because you know you you watch tv which makes you more knowledgeable than your doctor which you know what i don't know maybe that probably that happens sometimes but like that's my god is that wildly irresponsible but that but these are that's kind of the um the subtext to all of these uh, these these advertisements for depression medication in America is like you can't really take part in society unless you fix yourself like you can't survive like you are losing the battle of the survival of the fittest and and so like the i i, I think that um i think we're putting the the two things together that um is a little implicit in this seminar, but, but there is a, a, a Darwinian, I think, I think this is, I think you're right that this is what Lacan is getting at, that there is like this Darwinian push behind, uh, ego psychology, the, the, this like current that makes it appealing because again, like you, you fix yourself, you make yourself more viable. Like, you know, like, like you, you get over the problem, you've moved past it. It is the survival of the fittest. And, and that's what those kinds of, um, you know, therapies and in inverted commas, uh, like that's what they promise. And that's why that's why they're that's why they're more successful than than psychoanalysis, right? Um, right. You know, I mean, psychoanalysis yeah. is in a certain way is a, about failure. It's about how yeah. are we going to fail in the right way. Um, I do. I love that point, and I think isn't he saying you have to that that this massive dar- investment in in Darwinism mm-hmm. is itself a missed a way of missing the symbolic s- structure, mm-hmm. right? Like it's. I, I think that's the the key to it is that it's stuck in an imaginary it views every relation as an imaginary one-on-one relation. So it's who are, who's going to get the better of whom in yeah. that imaginary relation. And that's, that's the winner, right? Like, I think yeah. that's the yeah. whole, <laughs> that's, that's the whole point. logic of, of both the imaginary and of Darwinism. And I think it does. And, and, you know, it's interesting because I think some critiques of this, of, of, you know, that whole, this whole, there's a whole like Edmund Wilson and, and Richard Dawkins, there's this whole line of mm-hmm. like bringing Darwin into, into, you know, like a psychological way of thinking about humanity. And the, one mm-hmm. of the, a lot of the critiques of them among scientists is that, that they are forgetting about the way, about cooper like how cooperation works. And I yeah. think in a way, what they're saying is they're forgetting about the symbolic pact, right? Like that's yeah. what that critique is really suggesting. So it's kind of like Lacan's critique, I think, that it that if you miss the symbolic pact, then you miss the way in which that there's something mediating that one-on-one relation. But I do want to say the symbolic pact can actually bring in even more violence yeah. than the imaginary relation, which is which is something you know. I, I think Lacan hints at it a little bit here because he says. He makes this distinction between imaginary aggression and mm-hmm. symbolic aggressivity, which is often translated by Fink, I think, as aggressiveness. So mm-hmm. this distinction between aggression and then aggressivity or aggressiveness, which is always symbolic. So aggression is imaginary. So he does kind of, and then he says, which is far worse, aggressivity. Mm-hmm. So there's some sort of hint, but on on the whole in the seminar, the symbolic is about a bond, right? 
Yeah. Well, can I give, I'm, I'm going to give directly the line. I mean, he says this, so this, yeah, again, good. if you're following, following at home and you want to underline something to come back to, uh, page 142, um, so I'll give a longer, like longer context. The, um, the ich ideal, the ego ideal, is the other as speaking, the other insofar as he has a symbolic relation to me, which within the terms of our dynamic manipulation is both similar to and different from the imaginary libido. Symbolic exchange is what links human beings to each other. That is, it is speech, and it makes it possible to identify the subject. That isn't a metaphor. The symbol begets intelligent beings, as Hegel says. So that's, I wanted to include that uh, at, at the end, too, because he's, the, um, you know, like this, he, it, it, I don't know, is this, is this the justification for our podcast in a nutshell, why we have the, the dual, like, like Hegelian, like, Lacanian thing? Like, I mean, like, it's, it, I mean, Lacan puts it right there, but it's, yes. um, I it's mean, really this is nice. his. Yeah. This is his most overtly Hegelian seminar, but I think yeah. a lot of people would say it's his least. Hegelian. It's his least. I agree. I agree. The the, the times. It's it, it's so true because I mean that's this a, is Maladin's point. I think that yeah. Go ahead and yeah. say it. Yeah. Oh yeah, that went. I mean, we've said it on the podcast before is that when he thinks he's being Hegelian, he's least Hegelian, and when he thinks he's not being Hegelian, he's being the most Hegelian. Like there, there. I mean, it's a side topic. We could get into it later, but there he has a, um, he has a reading. He has a reading later of, of Hegel. I mean, I think it maybe occurs in the when he talks about master slave that I just think is like really like it like the thing that he's saying is correct, but he's saying that it's not what Hegel's saying. It's a and critique it always, of Hegel, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. it always works. But out but that here way. it's yeah. very open, right? He says this is toward the in the second part of toward the end of the book. He says, At every turn I take my bearings, I think is what he says, I take my bearings from the master slave dialectic and I re explain it. So yeah. it's as if like the master slave dialectic is some like secret key that mm. unlocks all of Lacan's thought, which obviously isn't true. But I think he he really thinks of himself, I maybe at this time of like bringing Hegel to psychoanalysis. Which I think that's possible yeah. because he's mm. just, well, not just, so 30s, he was in Kozhev's seminars in, in Paris. And I think mm-hmm. that's where he got his understanding of Hegel, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's, think he's kind of thinking himself at the beginning of, I'm influenced by Hegel. Kozhev and I'm bringing, I'm giving this Hegelian twist to psychoanalysis, right? I think yeah, that's what he's yeah. in his mind. I think that's what he's doing. Yeah, it's it's really it's interesting, and in in this uh, in this seminar, too as, as well. It's funny when you say seminar too. I mean seminar as well. Uh, so in this seminar as well, he he says uh, like going back some several episodes, the formula I am always giving you, the unconscious is the discourse of the other, and I just. I like that as, so this is the seminar was he, for one, he's still saying that. And I think like in our, um, podcast on the unconscious, we expressed a preference for, for that. Um, right. Versus that, when he later, he'll say the unconscious is structured like a language, right? Right, right, right. And th- here, I think what's interesting is to bring, I don't know, the, the, the two, the two things together, which is that one, we're looking at a, uh, a podcast, a po- uh, that's really funny, uh, a lecture that is um, highly focused on the symbolic. And then the second one, the second thing is that he's also um, reference, referencing Hegel like explicitly throughout. So you put those two things together about unconscious as discourse of the other and the um, the symbolic exchange is what links human beings to each other and this Hegelian thing. And you you start to see the shape of like how Lacan would later become Lacan, but you also see how I think like inextricably connected 
these things are and, and, and how it's informing his reading of Freud. And again, how key the symbolic, I think at this point, how key the symbolic is to the unconscious, which is interesting because I think that, that that'll change a little bit as right. he more right. for, as he formalizes the real, because here it's a little, it, it, he kind of straight swaps it for reality at times. At times, right, at times. At time, then yeah. he has these other times where he says real is what resists symbolization, absolutely. So, Right, which not, is, imp- and so, th- no, no, that's helpful for, um, because the, the point I'm trying to, to make is that, like, the, he wants the, he wants to take, I think we put it this way, that like the analytic session is not this imaginary relation, but it is it is itself a symbolic exchange. And he wants, to, like, you you want, he, and he says here that what psych, uh, psychoanalysis aims at is full speech. And so you want to make the unconscious speak and that this is dependent on symbolic exchanges, which happens in analysis. That's And, and that's, I'm trying to put all that in like kind of like a box No, that's together. good. That's really good. Yeah. Like, I think that's right. That kind of sums up what he's trying to do. So, Important things you brought up there was this distinction between empty speech and full speech. So empty mm-hmm. speech is kind of the blah 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 of the imaginary, right? And then, yeah, and then full speech is the what is it? It's like you've assumed your symbolic destiny, right? Like you, mm-hmm. it's the it's a it's, full speech is identified with the symbolic and with you know with fully taking up your position in the symbolic without this imaginary detour. I think that's what. Yeah. That's how he defines full speech, which he'll get rid of rather soon. By <laughs> seminar seven, he there's a slight mention of it, but not really, and then it's gone. So, yeah, so yeah. this is very that that distinction between empty and full speech is one that doesn't last as he becomes Lacan, right? So, which mm-hmm. is interesting because I think at this point he really was betting a lot on that. Like I think he yeah. in, there's a way in which he thought that's going to be my. I'm going to intervene in this way, this distinction between empty and full speech. People will say mm-hmm. that's Lacan's distinction. Right. But I think he, he later thinks that's not really a – because he, his, emphasis, his, his interest and emphasis will be on the real. And so mm-hmm. full he can't translate that idea of full speech to the real in the way that you know he would maybe want to. So I think – and and yeah. well, that depends on there not being objea at this point. And, and it's really – and there's a – like I think to pull us together, there's a, there's a really – Fascinating line. This is on again, following at home. Uh, oh, let me see if I get the page number. It's on two twenty, and when he's talking about Sartre and the gaze, and this is it's just a, a really good example of, and, and this is something I think we might end up doing on these podcasts that cover the seminars is that um, to give like just a series of lines and what does he mean in this context, like at this point, like the, the Lacan that he is, he, the one who is speaking, and then. Right what will he will later become or, or later argue and like where, where that tension is. And there's just such a, so he's talking about the gaze, which, which comes um, expressly from Sartre's notion that there is always a gaze behind a, you know, like a, a rustling of leaves, right. right. Like it, right. in his example. Um, from being in nothingness. Just in from being in nothingness. Yeah. So here's, here's something he writes and this is, he, well, he says this, it's written down. Uh, it's a two twenty. The gaze is not located just at the level of the eyes. The eyes may very well not appear. They may be masked. The gaze is not necessarily the face of our fellow being. It could just as easily be the window behind which we assume he is lying in wait for us. It is an X, the object when faced with which the subject becomes object. And I think that's so great. This X I, I, I'm he's almost say, I, conceiving object there, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That X is almost object. And 
if he had that, then, well, I'm sorry, I'll put it this way. When he has that, he starts to think Abjaya and, and real together. And that's how he, in, you know, 10 seminars later, he will develop his notion of, of the gaze, which, um, your translation of the, of the line is, uh, um, the, what, what is it? Uh, the picture, the picture I'm, is in, of the, course the, the picture is in my eye, but I'm there in the, I'm in the picture. Right. I'm in the picture. Yes, which, which that, remember, it's it's famously, tra- famously in my mind, <laughs> fam- yeah. infamously translated by Alan Sheridan as, but I'm not in the picture. And this not just gets invented, uh, thrown into the text because it doesn't It makes exist. it more, it makes it more elusive. And like when his whole, what Lacan's whole point of the, so Lacan will move from the gaze behind to be, to, but he'll take the idea uh, I think like broad stroke from start with the gaze is like you, you're not master in the symbolic right. space. Right. But what he will say is that like you, your the position of mastery is not behind you. It's like, it's, it's in what you're looking at. Right. And, and, and it, and it occurs in the, in with, with the uh, object and that this is how we, he will start to articulate the, the, the real as well. And so it's, it's pretty, pretty fascinating. But at, at this time, he doesn't what yet have that idea. He doesn't yet have it because the point he's trying to make is that there's not just two people. It's not just, you know, you are, you're not just walking along by yourself. You, you would, you would always think that like, you know, you hear the wind howl a certain way. You think maybe someone's looking at you and, 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 and that's just, that's just you alone, that it's never just you or it's never just you and another person. There's always this other dimension to it. And you know, he, he he's not, Again, he's not thinking of it on his own terms yet. He's thinking about it through through Sartre. And this is just one of the examples. But, like, it's important for the way that he's understanding the analytic uh, situation as not just two people. Right. And, and right. yeah. And that's I, and, and I think you can see, like, the not two comes from here. Like really Even from here, like right. I think, yeah. I, I think the person that wrote that book, Lorenzo Chiesa, was was thinking about later, like, the the you know the even seminar 20 on the on mm-hmm. the sexual division but i think you're right yes. that you can even see it as early as this which is fascinating i think you know what's interesting is that that uh, the how much things change like how much things are both the same and how much they're different so like mm-hmm. here love like love mm-hmm. becomes <laughs> so important for him in the transference seminar so seminar yeah. 8 Mm-hmm. And here, and and it has a very he has a very clear idea of it that love is giving what you don't have to someone who doesn't want it, right? Like yes, that's love. yeah, yeah. Um, and here, it's it, love is just an imaginary illusion. Like you, mm-hmm. you've invested some object with with something that it isn't, and then mm-hmm. you fall for it, and it's just an illusion that builds up the ego. So it's really, I mean, he's very cynical. I think in this seminar about love. And yeah. and then he increasingly becomes more, what would you say, like more of a believer in love, I think. Like yeah. Huey Lewis in the news. He, he, <laughs> he believes, he believes in, in the power of love, yeah. Yeah, he does. That like, is, you know. Don't like take money time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's how he, I think, and by the, you know, at the end of Seminar 11 ends with this, there's another connection to that seminar, because it ends mm-hmm. with this statement where he says, you know, the love which some of you think I have downgraded is actually, uh, yeah. and he goes on to, to think that the analyst is the, the love of the analyst is the love of the singular. So yeah, that's interesting that, I mean, I think actually what's funny is that's an idea that this idea that analysis is about the singular, that's here mm. too. 
But the idea mm-hmm. that the analyst is is a figure of love, that's what's completely different. Yeah, no, that it's 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 pretty fascinating. Um like yeah, he no, he just he says this a lot. He wants to get it's really it's pretty great because he He's also, I mean, this is, and this is, I think, uh, a Chiesa's point as well, or like, this is another way of understanding the knot too, is that like Lacan is, um, when thinking about love, he's against the yin yang idea of it, which is, you know, which is complementarity. And right, he, right. He's even he's, later. He's, right. He's again, he's here. He, he's, ag- he's against the idea. Like he, he identifies the notion of like a dyadic relation in love with right. the, with the ego psychology idea of the, um, analytic session and transference. And he wants to, and, and it's a very, you know, it's a, actually, I, I kind of think it's a move that like, uh, um, I associate with, um, with Zizek's writing where he, he says to himself, okay, so you want to say love is at work in the psychoanalytic session and in, in the situation, fine, I'll go with you on that, but it is not in the way that you think. And it completely overturns your idea. And that's right. what I think he, he does in, in, in seminar eight is that like, n- like, yes, there's love here, but it's you, you calling it transference. And he does use the phrase counter transference, which he'll never use again, especially when right. he formalizes his notion of, of love in the analytic uh, situation. And right. he just is, is using it to, to overturn these, um, these these ideas that pull analysis into uh, end oriented uh, a kind right. of uh, no that's terrain. right yeah. that's right yeah it's interesting I mean it's interesting how here he would like you can see why he would think love is just a two it's a two right like that's what yeah. the problem with it is is right, it's right. part of this whole thinking in dyads yeah and and that's the problem it doesn't have the third party but later he would say that love actually is the one is one moment where we get this disruption of the of the two right like it's yeah. a, like like love doesn't like i think he thinks genuine love doesn't doesn't affirm the ego it actually undermines the ego yeah yeah so i think it's a radical a radical change i mean i love the way that in this seminar you know anna freud writes ego and the mechanisms of defense and here he says mm-hmm. No, the ego is the mechanism of defense, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like there's the no, it doesn't have mechanisms. It is the right. mechanism. And so the association of of love with the ego, I think, I wonder if everybody doesn't go through a period where you think this. You know, like mm-hmm. I remember I was in graduate school and I'm like, I'm never going to tell anyone that I love them ever again. Because <laughs> no yeah, one sure. ever thinks it. And they just, and they just, you know, they're just, it's just this basic narcissistic affirmation of themselves mm-hmm. so i so i and then the girlfriend that i had at the time she's like well that sucks like right when you go out with me you stop thinking believing in love but uh, you know but of course maybe it was the other way around maybe it's because i was going out with her that's i didn't funny. believe in love and then when i met hillary i i believed in love again so um, there you go yeah that's nice which is nice i mean that's a nice uh that's probably too sweet of a reading for it to be true but um yeah i think they call that a lie I that's think that's not a psychoanalytic the, term, but I think it's, it's a lie. Yeah, but truth has a structure of a fiction, so uh, there you go. we'll Very start nice. with that. Nicely um, done. <laughs> which, which is actually, that, it's funny that that's one of the things that stays constant for him, that that's an idea, and I think that's tied to this emphasis on the symbolic, right? That mm-hmm, truth mm-hmm. has a structure of a fiction, that the symbolic fiction actually, when we deve, deve into that, we, when we dive into that, that's mm-hmm. when we come up with truth, not when we try to approach truth directly in this one-on-one dualistic way. 
Yeah. And I, I think that's tied as well to the, um, so he talks a lot about resistance, like resistance to the psychoanalytic, uh, method right. in, in, and I think he's, cause he's not the later Lacan. He doesn't plainly say he, he, so what he writes about is that resistance gets in the way of the revelation. And he says like revelation is what we're looking for. Cause again, he's also talking about like full speech, full right. speech and analysis is, is all is tied with revelation. Like, but like I think he'll, kind of, do you think he b- always will believe in revelation that psychoanalysis? Of, I mean, it has a kind of Christian overtone, but I do think he, like he said, like he, he constantly invades in this seminar against understanding, right? Like yeah. don't, don't understand, don't understand what I'm saying. And yeah. I'm, as I'm reading this, I'm like, well, speak a little more obtusely like later and then I won't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, yeah. Uh, but, but no, so he invades against understanding and he, he argues for revelation. And I think that's what he's mm-hmm. trying to produce in his own thought. And I think that's what he thinks happens is ideally what happens in analysis. Right. Well, I think that, yeah, that's why I think later it, he would have said, and I wish that he said this, but I'll say it that like the resistance is the revelation. Like uh-huh. I, I think very good. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, and I, and, and so he, he's, he's working toward that as the idea. He doesn't say it that like plainly or clearly like, like what he, he's instead trying to, he does again and again, try to show that like, you know, resistance needs to be part of analysis. It's not a problem to, to avoid, but he's not like, he's not hitting this as like, you know, we want, you want to create, resistance you want to find that that resistance which i think he will later be very convinced of that at the um and that that'll be undergirding the um the punctuated session right is that like like the you know it's not full speech it's the analyze is like they they, they, we've met a point of resistance it's over we're we're done you go and and you have that you have the, I think this is kind of funny. Um, I think on an earlier podcast, I said, you have the, um, you have the revelation on your, on your own time and not, not, not having the seminar in mind. Uh, but, but that's, I think, no, I like that. Uh, clearly I like that. there. Yeah, yeah. 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 I like that, 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 that the, because of the way the session is punctuated, you get the revelation that comes to you later. I think that's right. Yeah. And it's in, and again, that's where the, the resistance is key. Again, it's not, it's not the it's not the problem to be solved. It's not like oh, how do we get away from resistance? Oh, well, you know, we you know we have to enlarge the ego so that the ego doesn't have defense. It's like nope, the ego is defense. The resistance is revelation. Right. Like that that's right. and 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 that's what he's 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 after with the the psychoanalytic method here. Although not yet, right? No, yeah, it, yeah. It's it's yeah, I guess that's true. Maybe because yeah, the I'm, resistance I'm, yeah. is still a problem to be overcome here. I think right. Yeah, he's yeah, he yeah. I mean, he doesn't no, that, say that, what that, you that's, said. That's he right. doesn't say the resistance is the revelation. He never says that. No, no. He says um where do I have a good line? Uh resistance is produced at the moment when the speech of revelation is not said. This is on okay. um So so he here. does that's say that. 49. This he yeah. kind of says that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is my cuz you know, I'm always thinking about this like uh I tie that to the uh the cliffhanger. You know, I like that right. a lot. It, punctu- it punctuates an end, but it leaves revelation for another day. And then uh, it, he says that revelation is the ultimate source of what we are searching for in the analytic experience. Also on page 49. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I yeah. love that idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that, you know, and 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 I think that he's, you know, that the imaginary barrier is a barrier he thinks to revelate. I mean, it's interesting how he thinks mm-hmm. assuming your symbolic destiny is revelation, 
right? Like yeah. that, like he has that line that, that analysis ends, this comes early in the seminar, that analysis ends with this, you are this, like you mm-hmm. are this, you are this symbolic position. And that, that mm-hmm. is, there's a revelation that comes to that, you know, like it's almost like, I think there's something very, uh, Johannic about it, like the, mm-hmm. the Gospel of John, right? Like, in the beginning hmm. was the Word, and like there's this revelation of the Word for Lacan. I think that really, there's really something about that. I mean, it seem, doesn't it seem very Christian, his whole schema of... Well, the, it's yeah. in, isn't it... No, I think it's um, it's interesting, like... Um, <laughs> it's like a... Because a, I think he's at... You could almost swap in spirit for this, but more... Christian, yeah. less Hegelian. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's really true. I think he does really bring up true. Augustine in the seminar too. Well, so, I mean that, that that is interesting. I have a fascinating thing about a lot. He talks a lot about Augustine actually, yeah. and he even talks about well, Freud made this one little advance on Augustine, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> and <laughs> right. and I was talking yes. to Guy Legoffet this week, and he said to me that Lacan's biggest influence wasn't even Freud, but was Augustine. And That's, that he thought of his life as a putting into practice of Augustine's thought. So that's, huh. and I, I think that's not, ev- this is maybe most evident in this seminar. Hmm. He actually that, was in his seminars and talked with him. So I, I think he, 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 he has some he authority has some on insight. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I think, I mean, I never would have said that because I'm like, oh, it's the triplicity. It's, it's like hmm. Kierkegaard. It's like clearly the ethical, the, the, ethical and the aesthetic and the religious this is what he's translated and he's like man not really he's like it's, yeah. it's really this augustinian schema and so i i don't know i think that's it's interesting to think about the influence of 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 augustine and, and this whole kind of christian idea on and 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 that makes me think that revelation is really really important for him huh. at least here i don't know how much later right like it, it it's Maybe, I don't know, maybe, but it seems like here, it's least explicitly so here. That's pretty fascinating, Todd. So I just, I have this line, uh, 267, the Freudian innovation in comparison with St. Augustine is the revelation within the phenomenon of these subjective experience moments in which speech goes beyond the, uh, in which speech, which goes beyond the discoursing subject emerges. So another way of saying that, another way of saying that is, is like when the subject exceeds, you know, their self, like, like that's. Um, that's the Freudian innovation, but he's all, but he wants that revelatory, uh, I don't know, uh, valence to it that also comes from like, like thinking in, in the Augustinian way. And it's funny because that's, I, um, I think that's, that's a lot. I have a note for myself on this is that like that, that to me is like, he's actually defining the emergence of spirit in a strictly Hegelian way, but he's just not tying it to Hegel. He's tying it to Freud and to Augustine. Augustine, right? Like like, he even says like, like Augustine already anticipated modern linguistics in the teacher, this, this, (laughs) this treatise that he wrote. Right. So yeah, it's a, it's kind of amazing really. That's great. That how, you know, that, that, that and I think what he likes about Augustine is that he he sees speech as error, mm. but as error that moves in toward truth, right? And so mm-hmm. so there's a way in which he's got from Augustine already this distinction between empty and and full speech, and also that yeah. that truth is structured like a fiction that we have to have the first the fiction, the yeah. error, and then uh-huh. we get to the truth out of it. I I never. 
Huh. I always thought that was a Hegelian you know, aspect of, of Lacan. But after talking to Guy, I think that it has to be that this is some Augustinian, you know, really crucial Augustinian part of Lacan's development and thought. That's really, really, that's pretty fascinating. I, I, so I have, an, I have another line here that, that will, will kind of help with this. And this is a, um, this is an example of him reading contradiction badly, but it's, it's, it's tied in with the Augustinian thing. Um, the Freudian discovery, so this is, where's the page number here? Uh, 265. The Freudian discovery, while being empirical, does not on account of that make any less of a striking contribution. So striking, in fact, that one gets blinded to its existence, to this question, a question which seems, taken literally, to be a metaphysical one. What is peculiar to the field of psychoanalysis is indeed the presupposition that the subject's discourse normally unfolds, this is a genuine bit of Freud, within the order of error, of misrecognition, even of negation. It is not quite a lie, it is somewhere between an error and a lie. These are the truths of crude common sense, but this is the novelty during analysis within this discourse which unfolds in the register of error. Something happens whereby the truth erupts, and that's an erupts, and it is not contradiction. And so obviously, I think we would say that is contradiction. But Right, that's interesting. But, he says it's not contradiction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, so this is in the same section where he's talking a lot about um, Augustine, and uh, to dust off my... Uh, Augustine knowledge <laughs> a yeah, little bit. Yeah. Um, I think, look, I, I don't know. You could maybe make the argument that Lacan thinks Augustine invents the symbolic in the right. sense that it's the, uh, the, the relationship between uh, humanity and God. And like what Augustine uh Augustine firmly believed that, uh, that there, there was this, obviously this, like, um, oh, he was a big into the, like the doctrine of correspondences and things like that. Like things, like things, well, the way things are on earth, like, like, um, that has some bearing on how things are on high. Right. And, right. And City of God. It, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and if there's, if there is a, um, if there is a, and, and so there, so two things, if there's an error, in either the world, the symbolic world, or the word of God, like he was really, really big on this. That like, if there were seeming inconsistencies in the the biblical text, well, you know what your job is. Your job is to sew that up. Like you, right. you, you, you fix that. And I, and I, I kind of think it, that um, that's so. In an in an inverse way that maybe what Lacan is talking about as the work of analysis is that you, you, you're looking for those, like those inconsistencies and you try to make them speak where what Augustine looking for those inconsistencies, those problems and try to, well, he tries to make them sing, right? Like, like, right. like you avoid the problem. So right. I, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I could, I could see that. I could see that argument or I could see Lacan thinking that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that no one who writes on him really mm -hmm. takes up this, influence of Augustine, really. You know, it's it's yeah. surprising how little... And he doesn't talk about him much after this seminar. I think there's a little in seminar two, but I might be wrong. I might hmm. be wrong. Um, but really hardly at all. He just talks about him in terms of imaginary rivalry, not right. in terms of speech, right? In terms of the seeing the other, like that the, the very young baby even has this imaginary rivalry with the other. And I mm. think... Uh, but I think that 
that's not about speech. So, so it's interesting that this kind of this line of of thinking kind of dies out because I mean maybe it dies out because the, his notion of the symbolic pact as coexistence dies mm-hmm. out. Right? Yeah, like, right, right. Yeah, and so that, that maybe moves away. F- sorry, sorry. That, but that moves away from like the Augustinian thing that I just laid out, right? right Which is very right. much coexisting with the biblical text. It right. is interesting. It is interesting in um. Uh, I think it's in the, oh my God, this is so pretentious. I only remember the Latin translation, De Doctrina oh. Christian, on Christian doctrine. That's it. Yeah. It's on Christian doctrine um, uh, for uh, for Augustine. He has this, in, in that text, what he's trying to do is he's trying to marry uh, what he likes so much about Christianity, which what he likes so much about these pagan Platonists uh-huh. and what he says. And so this could be a line that we, we could use about like Lacan and the influence of Augustine. What he says is that the, um, in, uh, this is going to be paraphrased. I'm not remembering exactly, but like the, um, in the Bible, the work, uh, the work of the, like the Platonists is everywhere implied. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and or I may have inverted that relationship, but either way, he said it's every. But I love it. it's everywhere implied. No, 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 that's it. It's the other one. It, it's it's the word of God in the in the plate. So he's is implied he's, in the work of the Platonists. Yes, right. exactly. So right, he's bringing right, right. yeah. So he's bringing the 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 pagan godless thing into into Christian doctrine. Yeah, you know what's interesting and, is that that there's this whole. I always have found this fascinating that there so that so there's this whole Platonic dimension to Augustine, right? Obvious. And then Aquinas kind of flips it and, mm-hmm. and turns Christianity Aristotelian. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've always found that yeah. a kind of interesting opposition. And Lacan's clearly on the side of, of Plato and, and Augustine, I think. It is interesting. And also to be in a seminar where he writes about ego ideals, right? It's not obviously not platonic ideals, but it's just, I don't know, maybe that's a, maybe that's, maybe that's cigar is just cigar, but that is just. No, that's uh, true. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's true. I want to talk a little bit, if we can turn to this, Mm -hmm. this, the thing that he spends quite a bit of time on in this seminar is the inverted bouquet. Oh yeah, of course. And I, I, obviously we can't show people the inverted bouquet. (laughs) Um, which is too bad, but uh, I what I th- I find interesting about this is that he's trying to think of, in a way, he's trying to distinguish between imaginary and reality. Even though he does, this is where there's some slippage, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But but the real flowers and the imaginary vase and the vase and, and he's like it can be it can go either way, and yet mm-hmm. they kind of come together to form our whole s- sense of 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 symbolic consistency, right? Like those, mm-hmm. those two have to come together. And I, 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 I really love this notion of the vase with the flower in it because I think later on it seems, so he brings back the vase in seminar seven as the, mm-hmm. what holds Das Ding. So it holds right. the emptiness within the vase is Das Ding. That, and, and the vase around, he just says, is this holder for it. But I like to think, I think this is a, the vase is such an interesting thing. So the vase is, maybe we've talked about this, that, that, that in our dosting, maybe we talked about it, that, that, uh, that the vase is, is, sorry, that the vase is Heidegger's example of dosting in his essay, Dusting, mm-hmm. which is the only essay from Heidegger that Lacan translated from German to French. So, okay. Mm-hmm. So what I like about the vase is that it's you can think of the vase, even though Lacan himself doesn't put it this way, as the objet, ah, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. this this <laughs> obstacle to what's inside. Right. But what's inside is just this emptiness of dusting. But then in this example, there's mm-hmm. also a flower inside. So you get this triple relationship between the objea, which is the thing mm-hmm. that causes you to desire, and the then limit. you have yep. the object of desire, the flower inside, which is what you think you want. Mm-hmm. And then you have inside the void of Das Ding, the empty space, which is actually what you're drawn to, right? Yeah, that's super nice. That's like, um, isn't a bag of chips pretty good on this too? It is, is good, pe- yeah. Because pe- yeah. people think like, oh, they give you so much air, you get less. It's like, no, that's that's what's drawing you to it. Is right. like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It, I, I don't want to move away from the, because you just... No, the, I love okay. the bag of chips. It's perfect. It's the same example, right? Like the, like maybe if Lacan had lived in our time, he would have chosen <laughs> a bag of chips instead of a vase because who knows what a vase is like today. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we all know what a bag of chips is. I think that it's good for you, bag of chips is the example. Yeah, right. Uh, I think I don't, that wasn't a condescending statement. I no, I know. Uh, on the I, level I, with you at the same Um I know you pretty well, and I know what you meant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But just I want to make sure that people listening don't think I I'm this uh, uppity kind of don't eat a bag of chips. I just had a bag of chips for dinner last night. Um, that's oh, not yeah, even Todd, a lie. Todd won't um, eat a bag of chips McGallan over yeah, here. You yeah. lecturing anyway, but, me about vases. Sorry. But you're right. Like the chips function as the object of desire. Mm-hmm. The bag as the object of limiting Mm-hmm. I think the limiting function this is so limiting. important, which is yeah. why I think actually it's a little better than the vase because if the vase is huge, who cares, right? Like like <laughs> yeah. the bag of chips, you can really see that the limiting function makes that object of desire desirable, right? Like if oh, you had yeah. an infinite amount of chips, no one would eat them. Yes. Oh, no, Todd, that, that I, this is exactly true. Like if, you, if there was – there is a dump truck – like a load of just of chips, no bag, like in front of you, or the last bag of chips in the aisle. Like, there's no comparison. I know. Can well, I? Can, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. Ahead. Can I just tell you a funny story okay. about? It's about my parents, and it is a bit negative about them, but they don't. My dad's dead, so he's not listening, and <laughs> my mom uh, doesn't. So, so they. they this <laughs> is a not a delivery. smart. This is not a smart move on their part. But they. Okay. Whenever we go on vacation, they would mm-hmm. buy a bag of Oreos because whenever we okay. would get to a near a restaurant when we stop, they would force me to eat a bunch of Oreos. Oh my God. Because no, I know you know why. Because otherwise, I would eat too much in the restaurant, and they they couldn't afford it. So they're oh my like, God. they fed me a bunch of Oreos. Like I'd have to eat <laughs> ten Oreos before I was allowed to go in and have dinner at Wendy's. And so, but, Todd, but that's insane. It's that crazy. <laughs> it's really crazy. I know. I know. But uh, but they, but they, the, you know what they did? They took them so that to bring them, make them, put them in a smaller size or whatever. They always took them out of the box. Oh, to bring them along, and so they're in this plastic baggie. No, and I'm like, worse. that's not. They're not. They taste bad. They just taste different yeah. when they're coming mm-hmm. out of this plastic baggie, and they're not confined because they they dump two or three boxes into this huge, you know, <laughs> baggie. And I'm like, that's not good. Those no. don't taste good. I lo- I want to. And so they'd go, what do you want? And I'd go, can we stop at a convenience store so I can get a little pack of Oreos? And they that yeah. drove them absolutely crazy. But yep. I think. You know, it's, it's, I think the bag of potato chips or the bag of Oreos, like it's perfect because what really, the potato chip bag, what you really are drawn to is precisely mm-hmm. that emptiness inside yeah. mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's made into what it is by the barrier, the obstacle of the objet. I mean, I think that's a great, 
you know, when 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 you write your your introduction to psychoanalysis, that's going right. to be the key the key thing because the potato. I think the potato chips work better than the vase, simply because you get the uh, you get the confining nature of objet, the limiting nature of objet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and that, that's it's so important. It's like, uh, yeah, I'll have I'll have a chapter on the apple box and the the bag of Lay's sour cream onion potato chips, right? Like yeah. that'll be that that'll yeah. be my thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, the it's it's all it's it's funny because it's the I think the um there's a capitalistic way of looking at it that is not the psychoanalytic way, which is that like, oh, what makes it desirable is this manufactured scarcity. Right. And it's not. It's what the the psychoanalytic twist on that is it's making uh seemingly in a tangible way like like this this like access to the void is 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 what's at work and and that's what you get in the like you know that's the whole we were talking about this with the with the bouquet and that you know why it's important that there's a flower in in there is because you can have some sense of the void if you right. if it's not in there it's harder to you, you know like you know one that's really true yeah versus versus five you know, like, oh, it's full. There's not that much space. Or just one, it's like, oh, there's empty. Like, it's the uh, uh, ability to have this uh, relation to the, like, the, the void and the, and, the, and the emptiness. Yeah, I mean, I, it, I think that's important. It's such a great point, too, about ca- capitalism, right? Like, it, th- that's what that whole manufactured scarcity dismisses is that there's an yeah. incredibly religious dimension to even mm-hmm. a bag of potato chips, right? Like, yeah. like that's what they're promising. They're like, you yes. could encounter the, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to sacrifice virgins. You can really <laughs> encounter the void just by eating right a bag of Lay's, right? Like yes, that's, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think yes. like, <laughs> you know, who wouldn't go? I know a lot of people don't go for that, but it seems like that's a pretty powerful, you know, uh, transcendent kind of, you know, introduction of transcendence, right? Can I tell you, you know, cause you just told a story that, um, in the early part of the, uh, of the pandemic when there was very much manufactured scarcity, like here with all kinds of items, uh, Kara found a way to, um, to scare me up a bag of Lay's sour cream onion potato chips. And I did not like, I was so happy. Like I like, I almost cried and <laughs> right, I didn't, right. I didn't have it for weeks. I cause just cause it's like I was like, like I need I needed it there. It was this. It was it was uh, it was my relic, right? I was venerating it as uh, though the, right. the, the the bones of John the Baptist or something. Like right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. That's pretty great. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah, it's the best bag of chips I ever had. In my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. So 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 the inverted bouquet is for Lacan here though about. The way the symbol. What's interesting about that is it's about the way in which the ima- the image and reality come together to form our sense of reality, mm-hmm. and then he he you, he says that our look at at reality is always mediated by he has this what he calls a plane mirror. So this mm-hmm. this mirror that we look at and that reflects the whole world to us, which he says is the equal to the symbolic order. So it's as if we. The imaginary is where we see or what mm-hmm. we see. That, that's not right. The imaginary no. and the, the merging of imaginary and reality is what we see, mm-hmm. but the symbolic is where we see from. And I think yeah, this, that's great. this seminar really does a, the best job, I think, of making that, that dynamic clear. So what Le, Lacan, uh, I mean, he says this 
the, I don't know if it's, it's if it's implicit or 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 explicit because I, I don't have the line in, in front of me, but he does make it seem as though uh, his three orders are entered into like in a in a in a in a row, which is that like you you begin in the imaginary and then there's the symbolic and then there's when there, there's some conflict with with the real that makes that apparent and I think and he. That's in, in this next, seminar, you think? That's in this seminar, yeah. yeah. I think because that's true. in yeah, because then in the next seminar, he will say, he, he will. I mean, I don't have the li- again. I don't have the line in front of me, but he'll say almost like I've like I've always maintained that like these orders like they, they come together like they emerge completely like at, at the same time. At the same time, right? And and that that in the next seminar, he's like completely consistent on like from from there forward is it's not this like it's not a trajectory of like identification in the, in the orders. It's, it's actually, it's more like, you know, they all exist at once, uh, but there are moments where, uh, you, you've, you either have the, the false sense of being seen and confirmed by one, uh, measure or, or by one of the orders, which would, you know, be the, the imaginary, the, and the misrecognition that supports it. Or, you know, you, uh, like you find yourself lost, and another one like so so it, it's more about like these uh it's more about resistances actually i think that that's like a really important like that that word drops out but that idea i think is uh important in the you know in the subjective uh experience uh that lacan will like later articulate with these three orders right is that like the resistance right. it, it like the, the 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 sites of resistance um are again the resistance is the revelation and they and they tell you about the 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 three different orders basically and 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 what and what they're all about. Right. I think that's really important, right? I think you could read this seminar and have that misunderstanding of Lacan that in 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 America was was rampant up until 1989 when Slavoj wrote yeah. the sublime object, right? So I think Although I, I will tell you I had someone in, in a this was in a, an essay uh, that I got clapped back on. Someone said that no, no, no. It starts with the imaginary and moves to, like I like somebody like corrected me. They corrected on, you. That's nice of yeah. them. While yeah. I had while I quoted Lacan saying that they come at, at the same very time. Very good. Very good. Yeah, well, sorry. they know better, right? They, yeah, of course they, they do. They followed the common sense. <laughs> it's always right. <laughs> um, that's really good. Uh, yeah. So I think you know I, I want to get to this notion of how analysis ends. So he says this mm-hmm. thing, and I wonder what you think about this, that he says analysis is a science of the particular, he says in this seminar, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. which I don't know. I, I, I know that a lot of people think that, and I know mm-hmm. that in a certain way, I think the end of analysis is an affirmation of your own singularity. So maybe there's, a, mm-hmm. I want to distinguish between particularity and uh, singularity. That's really nice. That's nice, Todd. But uh, I don't know. I, I just I think there's a kind of like resistance to the universal uh, mm-hmm. here, isn't there? Or you know, yeah, like, no, I, I'm with you. I so I'm I don't up. know. So I feel like that's something that stands out in this seminar, and maybe it stays. Maybe it actually stays all the way through the formulas of sexuation. That there's that 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 he thinks of psychoanalysis as specifically not like there's nothing. Universal, because everything, like what you're, uh, what it's all about, is about affirming the particular in the face of this universal, right? I think he mm-hmm. kind of thinks that. Yeah, I think, and just for like a couple lines, like this is uh, two thirty-two. The um, the progress of an analysis does not consist in enlarging 
of the field of the ego. It is not the reconquest by the ego of its margin of the unknown. Rather, it is a genuine inversion, a displacement, like a minuet executed by the ego and the id. Uh, Then elsewhere on that page, that really is what is at issue at the end of analysis, a twilight, an imaginary decline of the world, and even an experience at the limit of depersonalization. That is when the contingent falls away, the accidental, the trauma, the hitches of history, and is being which then comes to be constituted. And so there, I think, I don't know, that that feels more like, uh, well, you know, my reading, of a particular changes all particulars. Yeah. Right? Like that that yeah. feels very, very universal uh, in the you know, the way that I, that I, uh, right. I mean, I, I, I was going to say that I think he's universal against himself, right? Like I think, yeah, like I think he's, he, he, he is certainly still a universal thinker and, and yet he has this belief that he's, that he's not. And then I think, you know, it's interesting that he, I think he characterizes the end of analysis as this, like you're confronted with your own absolute singularity that you yeah. then have to struggle with. And this, so he has these lines they are kind of fascinating. So he, he says, this is in the last se- seminar or se- mm-hmm. session, he says, the slave has a great deal to expect from the master's death. Beyond the death of the master, he will be obliged to confront death as, fully realize, as a fully realized being has to and to assume in the Heideggerian sense his being for death. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that that like... He's almost saying the end of analysis puts you in this Heideggerian position of confronting death, right? Mm-hmm, like that's. Mm-hmm. I think he would later not say that. I think he. Yeah, would, I agree. I think he would because isn't the isn't the point of? I think this is where uh, psychoanalysis, or at least Lacan and, and Hegel, are absolutely the same. Is that the problem for them is not the problem of our finitude, mm-hmm. but our infinitude. Like it's our mm-hmm, excess. Mm-hmm. That's the problem, not the fact that we're these victims of, you know, these we're finite mortal beings, you know, stuck in our being for death. That in some way, it's the excess of subjectivity and our and our excess jouissance that actually makes death a problem. Like if we didn't, if we weren't, like why don't other animals have the same obsession with death that we do? Because they don't have the same degree of enjoyment, right? Like it's, it's only yeah. insofar as you're enjoying that death is a problem. This is why if you're terribly depressed, everybody's felt this way. You're like, I could just die. I don't care. I'll yeah. kill myself. Yeah. I don't care. I don't even feel enough. I don't care enough to kill myself, but I could die. Mm-hmm. I don't care. And mm-hmm. that's why, because you feel you've lost your enjoyment and then you just think I don't longer have the will to live. And I think that's, so I think that's different than, uh, this notion of your, this, you're confronting your being toward death at the end. Yeah, no, I think I no, I think it's really interesting that I, it's interesting that he moves away from that because the end of the, I know. Of, the end of analysis is becomes very uh, closely aligned with how he will later um, understand transference and yeah. a, and here's a big concept that doesn't exist yet. The subject's supposed to know, right? Like he right. he the anal, the he doesn't understand. I don't want to, maybe I don't want to say understand. He's beginning to understand. I'll put it this way. The position of the, of, of uh, formalize the position of the, the analyst. And he, he doesn't have that phrase. The, the analyst is occupying this position of subject supposed to know. So, um, it, I don't know, absent those things, like he, it's not just like, so like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't he consider like the, the end of analysis is nothing less than like the end capital T capital E, you know, like like a total confrontation with uh, 
with with finitude and and ending. Right. And I don't I don't know. It's 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 very. Wait, it's and appealing. Then, I'm surprised. I think I agree yeah. with you. I'm surprised he abandoned this, but he does, right? Like he just. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder why. I wonder why. I, I mean, like, because it's it's a it's a very um, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's much more severe than a cure is a bonus, right? Like maybe right. this is like he's, you know, a psychoanalysis terminable and interminable. Like like how did like that, that's that's Freud. Like how 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 does this thing end? Like I've begun I've begun this crazy thing. Where where's the where's the ending? Right. You know, like how do how 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 do I like that's that's and that, I mean he talks about that impossible in professions as well, and that's why like Lacan picks it up, and so this is one of one of his answers, and I, it's not a bad answer actually. Is no, that no. the 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 end the end of analysis is nothing less than a twilight, an imaginary decline of the world, <laughs> and an even experience of the limit of depersonalization. Like right, like that's that was in the line that I quoted that you can you know. Uh, graft onto this like confrontation with death, the right for death itself, right? Um, right, right, and I don't know, maybe he's moved to like that. That sounds very severe, <laughs> and very well. I think it's, I, I, I think know. it's also, you know, I think like he even says it's very Heideggerian, and I think, I think you can read his trajectory as a trajectory from Heidegger to Hegel in a certain uh, okay. way, right? But I, I mean, I, that's not he's not consciously thinking that at all. So I don't know. I, I I mean, why does it, I think there? I don't know. I always, even for a long time, I thought like being for death was the ultimate position, you know, to get mm-hmm. to. So I I think I can see the appeal of that for him. But I I just mm. I think later he'll see that that death is only, you know, it it it, it still is there's a horror to confront, but it's a horror only in light of your sub, you know the structure of the, your enjoyment. And your subjectivity, right? Like it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like that comes to the fore. And I think again, it, I think it's, I just think it's tied to this idea of finitude. And I think he's too that this this makes him too much one of these philosophers of finitude, which I think is what dominates mm-hmm. the French scene in the latter half of the sure. 20th century. Like it's all philosophers of finitude indebted to Heidegger. And I think this is his that later, and he's in a certain sense, he's still part of that, and he'll break from that. That's what I think. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I think that's a nice uh, summation, and yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's that's pretty good. I mean, it it's pretty great. I I, I think um, you're you're definitely. Right. I want to like kind of nail down the the movement to to Hegel, sort of in the way that we're we're saying is that like to to reconcile that there is no subject supposed to know, and that yeah. the analyst does not confirm the consistency of your being. Right, like you're not uh, right. That 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 is reconciling oneself to the contradiction to contradiction right and it's also i mean yeah. later the the end of analysis becomes you confront the non-existence of the big other right like that's right, right. that's that's it right so it's yeah so so for him like living without the big other is even more horrible than confronting death right like that so i think that's what he's that's what he's saying that that yeah. that there's some that that death is a way of kind of missing because there's mm-hmm. a way in which it's death is back to the dual relation. It's just like me and death, right? And mm-hmm. so I think that's a part of the problem too. Why he gets oh yeah, that no, that's no, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't see that. I maybe maybe that maybe that's it. Maybe that's the the hinge upon why which he it goes turns. away from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah because it, it becomes a duality, yeah. uh, and and there is no there is no third. And so and then with the uh, the subject supposed to know and that that. Becomes, that's the third party that drops yeah. out, right? right. Yeah, that's pretty good. 
Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's good. So I guess, yeah, yeah, thank thank you. Thanks for that. Uh, (laughs) But my lesson is actually, I think you should uh, listen to Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> that's great. Uh, what, like sports or just the, no um, power of love? I think that. Oh, okay, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. That's good. It's the opening song of uh, Back to the Future. I think is that Isn't one it? or two? Back to the Future one, I think. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. He's going around on his skateboard, and Power of Love that's, is playing. That's the yeah. best. Yeah. yeah. Um, All right, Ryan. A, well, you know, should, I mean, is it too obvious to do? It's too obvious to, for us to do uh, Back to the Future a psychoanalytic reading. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. A, we, but we'd have of, to do it. We'd have to do a non-Oedipal psychoanalytic reading. That's, that's what the I'm future, saying. Which would be a real. That'd be tough. Yeah. To manage yeah. not to talk about Oedipus complex while talking about Back to the Future. Back to the Future. That's pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's really kissing his mom, but uh, don't, you know. Don't, don't think uh, about it. Don't think about that. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. Well, that is, the, you know, there's this really funny, there's this Netflix show, Glow, that I highly recommend. And um, Mark Maron plays a character who, um, he has he starts talking about like a, um, a sci-fi m- movie that he wants to pitch in Hollywood. And he says like, you know, it's about a guy who time travels and he ends up like, he ends up like kissing his own mom. He doesn't really realize. This thing. And the guy he's talking to is like, they made it. He's like, what are you talking about? And it's like, it's back to the future. It's like, it's like super popular. He's like, that's not popular. No one would make that. That's it's, it's really, really funny because what he basically Marin's character has like the, like the literal, almost like psychotic position on, uh, on back to the future, which is like actually completely disavowed by everyone who sees the movie. Right. And right. that's, that's sort of, uh, like a sub, um, a sub thing for his character. And then eventually like he avows in the second season that he's seen it. And, uh, he's like, yes, of course I've seen it. I oh, liked it or you know, whatever. Yeah. It's that's pretty good. good. That's good. Yeah. That's good. All right. <laughs> Over and out, Ryan. Over and out time. <laughs>